Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast. Obviously, uh, it is a Husker bye week, so there is obviously no game recap pod with yours truly and Bo Robert Rude. It is just me and you today on the pod. I uh, I, I, I kind of divulged this on the last wine pod, but I actually had, I had hernia surgery last Wednesday morning. So I have been, uh, I've, I've been parked on the couch, man. I haven't been able to do anything. Uh, for the last handful of days, I'm taping this. It's uh, Sunday, uh, November twenty or November, September twenty fifth. It's about six thirty at uh, in the evening. Um, I haven't been able to do anything for the last handful of days. I've, I've had a lot of time to think, and of course, a lot of time to uh, to watch games on a college football Saturday. Uh, so I got some I got some takes from the couch, baby. Got a lot of things to to get into. So so to sit back, you guys can kind of be my therapist here. So I we'll start with this. I like a lot of you sat and watched Adrian Martinez lead Kansas State over undefeated top 10 ranked Oklahoma in Norman, Oklahoma on Saturday night, the team that just made Nebraska look like a junior varsity team. Martinez was the best player on the field, and then obviously his signature play of the game, the scramble run on third and 16 was the was the play. It's just an incredible play. You could almost on the replay, it looked like you could see Martinez smiling as he hit the sideline on that run that sealed the game. And then of course he took a he took a bow as he scored the explanation point touchdown to go up 14 late to to pretty much uh, make it a done deal for for Kansas State to to beat Oklahoma. And man, that had to have felt good for Adrian Martinez, man. Four straight years of coming up short, close losses, not coming through, getting blamed, then having to change schools, and and then to get it done in a big game, in a big spot, on a big stage, finally has to feel amazing for Adrian Martinez. And it was, it has been, gosh, it's been almost 24 hours now since the game. It has been so interesting to watch the reactions that, from from this performance for Martinez in this game. There was kind of a revisiting of his entire career that was uh, that was kind of unfolding on Twitter afterwards. A reflection on Martinez and his arc and journey as a player, and it was interesting to to read and watch the reactions. I mean, obviously, ninety nine percent of them were genuine happiness for Martinez, but there also was this it, it was there was this interesting desire to use that game, that moment as an entire referendum on the past four years at Nebraska for Nebraska against Frost, against the Nebraska program as a whole. And and while I get that, I also saw people saw some people somewhat disregarding certain facts from the past as well. But as we all know, the Martinez story is a really, really, really complicated one. To me, as I sat and, and watched Martinez just dominate Oklahoma and then come through in the clutch and win and get that signature moment, it made me want I pulled out my computer, it made me want to go back and revisit what I wrote about Martinez last November. So I was like, let me let me see what I what I wrote. So I pulled this back up. Because anybody knows my process, I like to write out like all my my solo pods and all that stuff. So I I, I wrote this after the Wisconsin game last year, when it was announced that Martinez was having shoulder surgery, he was going to be done for the season, and boy, it sure felt like the writing was on the wall for him to transfer and that his career at Nebraska was over. And the reason I want to read, I want to read what I wrote last November is to really try to capture and relay how I felt about Martinez in the moment. Again, without having revisionist history on him like some did after that Oklahoma one. But to really capture how I felt about Martinez in that moment, but to also kind of give a sense of his journey leading up to last night and what made that moment so special for Martinez. 
Here, so so just, just listen to this. Here's what I wrote about Martinez last November trying to put a bow on his career and his time at Nebraska. I started with this. So hype, who you are associated with, and first impressions can shape so much. Four years ago, now five, Scott Frost was the hottest coach in the country. Central Florida was undefeated. He was on his way to winning National Coach of the Year. And at that point, his track record and reputation with quarterbacks and offense were basically impeccable. Mariota, Vernon Adams, McKenzie Milton, all elite quarterback performers. And then the offensive output spoke for itself from his time as the offensive coordinator at Oregon and then his time as head coach at Central Florida. I bring that up because it's important in the framing of Martinez and his arrival at Nebraska. This was the best quarterback coach and offensive mind who was the hottest coach in the country. This guy, Adrian Martinez, was his hand-picked guy. Remember the stories Frost flying across the country from Orlando to Fresno during the period he was taking the Nebraska job and coaching Central Florida in their bowl game just to land this guy. Frost had a chance to take Joe Burrow, an Ohio State transfer who's got family ties to Nebraska. No thanks. I got Adrian Martinez. So this was the hottest coach in the country. The guy with the most quarterback credibility. This was his hand-picked guy. So when you combine all of that with first talking to Adrian, I interviewed Martinez prior to his arrival to Nebraska when I was at 1620. Probably the best player interview maybe I've ever done. He's just incredibly impressive, which, as we know, the quarterback spot requires some of that it personality stuff. He appeared to have it. And then second, watching him play for the first time. That Colorado game in 2018, he blew me and anyone that watched away. The athleticism, the arm, the feel. He looked incredible at age 18 in his first college game. And although Martinez got banged up at the end of the game and Nebraska went 4-8 and eight in that first year, when you saw the natural ability combined with what he did on the field as a freshman it made sense that he was a Heisman candidate heading into his sophomore year. Which is an incredible moment in time to freeze and then fast forward to now. Nobody saw this Martinez roller coaster of a career coming. And nobody really saw this level of losing coming from Nebraska for the next three and then four years. With Martinez, the hype being the hand-picked guy by the quarterback and offensive guru, combined with the first impressions of watching him, it's amazing to think that this is how it could end at Nebraska. Adrian Martinez, Heisman candidate to being benched at one point. Jaw-dropping plays to forehead-slapping, game-losing mistakes. All-time career offense leader in Nebraska history, four straight losing seasons. Arguably the most talented quarterback ever at Nebraska, zero bowl game appearances. How can all those things be true? How? The Martinez story is head-scratching and complicated to explain. Adrian Martinez is an example of how stats can be a bit misleading, but also illustrates the realities that football is the ultimate team game. Stats being misleading because of the fact that he is the all-time career offense leader at Nebraska, yet has a losing record as a starter. Didn't have one winning season and didn't have a single bowl game appearance. But, in my opinion, Adrian Martinez never had enough around him. Adrian Martinez was a little bit of a victim of poor circumstances. As Tom Chattel in the Omaha World Herald put it, Adrian was the right guy at the wrong time. I feel like, simply put, I know a good quarterback when I see one, and he's a good quarterback. Again, the reality is, he just never had enough help. 
He dealt with shaky offensive line play his whole career. He never had a good running back. Hell, he never had a stable situation at running back. Outside of his freshman year and his senior year, he arguably had the worst wide receivers I've ever seen at Nebraska. He had basically the worst special teams in the country, which constantly puts him in terrible field position, and having a bad field goal kicker impacts the red zone and poor special teams cost Nebraska games, which impacts his record as a quarterback. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza. You know, there are a lot of ways to, to greet someone. Hey, hi, hello, what's up? Another way is, what's popping? Well, here's the thing. That greeting has taken on a new meaning now because the answer to what's popping is now Runza's new popcorn chicken. That's what's popping. Runza's new popcorn chicken is amazing. Little bite-sized, delicious, all-white meat chicken that make any day better immediately. I love them. My wife loves them. My kids cannot get enough. Two-year-old Mac, six-year-old Mava are constantly... One to get it popping. Great for a snack, great for a meal. Pair them with the best crinkle fries on planet Earth, and you are set. All I got to say is you need to get out to a Runza location nearest you and get it popping. What's so hard to understand about that? Get it popping with Runza's all-new popcorn chicken. Runza makes it all better. Not to mention, he was the quarterback during a period that Scott Frost was trying to flip a culture and rebuild a program which is hard. He was the quarterback during a global pandemic, which impacted everyone and everything. He was the quarterback this past season in which arguably the toughest schedule Nebraska has ever played. Talking about the 2021 season. And he was injured a lot. Knee, jaw, ankle, shoulder. Missed games due to injury in every season except his junior year, which was the COVID season. So he is a guy that just that just saw the deck stacked against him a lot in a variety of ways. But I feel like I can say all of that, acknowledge all of that, but then also recognize the shortcomings along the way too. Martinez was a quarterback that had numerous opportunities to come through in the clutch to win the game for his team, and he didn't do it. He just didn't. What's tough about Martinez's career at Nebraska is I'm not sure he has a defining win or even a defining moment. Unfortunately, he's been somewhat defined by just not winning. That's certainly not to cast Martinez as a loser and a bum. He's most certainly not either of those things. But ultimately, I think I'll remember Martinez the player at Nebraska like this. An incredibly talented player who didn't get enough help around him and just didn't win. He's kind of like the Pistol Pete Maravich in Nebraska football. Incredibly talented player who didn't win. But I'll also say this about Adrian Martinez. His toughness and who he is as a person are maybe his greatest attributes. His grace under pressure and in the spotlight has been impressive. The way he has navigated being one of the most famous people in Nebraska for four years has been impressive. A-plus person, five-star dude. We all know the pressure that the starting quarterback is under at Nebraska. This fan base is passionate. And he always was a stand-up guy. He never made excuses. He always took ownership to lose consistently, get criticized frequently, and to stand up after each game and conduct yourself the way he did to the media is not easy. Imagine being 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. You're halfway across the country away from your home. The weight of the Husker football world is on your shoulders, and you just can't get over the hump and you are getting criticized a good amount of the time. I know I wouldn't have handled it as well as he did, and I'm fairly certain you wouldn't have either. He was a guy that was easy to root for, fun to watch play, seemingly checked every single box you could ever want from a quarterback, an athlete, and a role model, except winning. And in a bottom-line business like sports, that's where Adrian Martinez's legacy gets complicated.
But I'll say this. In sports, there are no guarantees. You can do everything right and still come up short. If this is, in fact, for Adrian, it for Adrian Martinez's career at Nebraska, all I can say is that guy was a thrill and a joy to watch play every Saturday. And even though he didn't get and even though he didn't win and he didn't get that redemption moment this season, what I've come to realize when I reflect on my life and my athletic career is this. The only true pain and regret that comes from sports isn't necessarily the final outcomes. It's in the process of what you did during the journey. If you gave the game and your team everything you had to give, the deal we all sign with this thing we call sports is you have to live with the results and how the chips fall. Unfortunately, the chips seldom fell Adrian Martinez's way. But I can't imagine there's a guy who is more of a winner in the process of his journey at Nebraska than Adrian Martinez. We'll see what happens with him moving forward. But for now, all I can do is salute Adrian Martinez, a guy that feels like a winner, even though that's not what his final record in the books will indicate. That's what I wrote last November about Martinez. It's so interesting to capture that and then fast forward a handful of months later to Norman, Oklahoma, taking on the top 10 Sooners in a Kansas State helmet. Martinez finally got over the hump, got his moment in the sun, and came through. Pretty freaking cool for him, man. But to circle back to the fallout from that game, in my opinion, nothing about watching Martinez ball out and play great and win at Oklahoma was really all that surprising to me. But it was interesting to watch the reactions from that game and how people almost oh, people almost have chosen to use that one singular game as who Martinez really is. And they're just going to omit everything that occurred for four years at Nebraska, which, I mean, let's just not, let's not BS each other. It's, it's, it's fully, it's not fully an accurate way to view everything because you have to take the whole picture into consideration. It's all a part of the Martinez story and Martinez career. I mean, Let's not lose sight of the fact that Martinez and Kansas State, the week before, lost to Tulane at home and scored what, like ten points? I mean, let's not let's let's not get let's not let facts get in the way of the narrative that people want to believe, you know? But if you listen to me over the years and you listen to what I just wrote about him, it's pretty clear that I'm a big Adrian Martinez fan. But I also think it's important to be objective in this discussion. Again, I am happy for Martinez, and I'm so glad that he had his moment at Oklahoma. But let's tell the whole tale. Because there's a lot to unpack with Martinez and the fact that you know the conversations surrounding him will almost always inevitably be brought back to Nebraska and Scott Frost and his four years as the starter there. It's like everything he does on Saturdays this year playing for Kansas State will be kind of brought back to be used against Nebraska, for Nebraska, for Martinez, against Martinez, whatever. I guess that's just the reality of the deal. One of the questions that was always kind of permeated during Martinez's time at Nebraska and was prevalent again after the Oklahoma win for Martinez was the past four years at Nebraska, was Martinez the problem or was it Nebraska, that was a problem, and Frost, and and were there deeper issues than just one player? Because after that game, I saw a lot of this on Twitter. You see, Martinez was not the problem at Nebraska. I saw a lot of that. And it's so interesting. One game seemed to almost exonerate Martinez and the trial of his time at Nebraska and nailed Frost as guilty on all charges. 
It's just so interesting. Listen, if I had to cast my official vote and choose one thing, I'd definitely vote that the issues were deeper than Martinez. And Frost was more so the main culprit in the problem than Martinez was. But this is your classic sports situation where multiple things can have some truth to them at the same time. The reality is, guys, both came up short at Nebraska. But it's interesting to unpack. Again, this is the sort of topic where you see in classic sports debate where you are forced to choose a side, dig in your heels, and just, it's kind of silly. This is one of those situations where multiple things can be true at the same time. Nebraska clearly wasn't good enough around Martinez. And I just laid all that out, right? Bad offensive line. By the way, by the way, Martinez was sacked zero times against Oklahoma in in that win. Think that makes a difference? Of course it does. But Martinez, we just laid it out. Bad O-line, bad skill guys, bad special teams, clearly a culture issue. But again, let's not have revisionist history on Martinez either because he won one game at Oklahoma. Adrian Martinez turned the ball over a ton. 28 career fumbles at Nebraska. 16 of them were lost. The NCAA all-time record for fumbles lost is 21. So he almost has the all-time record. He also threw 30 interceptions in his career at Nebraska as well. So again, like while I can 100% acknowledge that Martinez didn't have enough help around him, those turnover stats are real, man. And he never came through in clutch moments at Nebraska. And Lord knows he had millions of opportunities because of all the one-score games. And then he also was a guy that seemingly kind of had a knack for the back-breaking mistake. I love the kid. I support the kid. I supported the kid too. Like, but let's just let's tell the whole complete story. Just because he came through and won a big game at Oklahoma doesn't make the past four years of his performances and his games at Nebraska just disappear. It doesn't render his 14 and 24 record as a starter at Nebraska irrelevant. Again, it's a situation where multiple things can be true at once. Martinez is a really good player. Martinez didn't have enough help around him at Nebraska. Martinez never came through in the clutch at Nebraska. Martinez was let down by everyone else at Nebraska. Martinez turned the ball over way too much at Nebraska. All those things can be true at the same time. But what's interesting is when you do try to frame it and solely pin all the issues on Martinez, that's not fair or right at all either. So again, like I said, it's it's hard. People want to make it all one thing. I just always felt like anybody that truly felt like that. I mean, anybody that watched the games for Martinez at Nebraska, it was pretty obvious that it wasn't all him. But the nature of the quarterback spot is too much blame and too much credit. We all know that. When you lose, the blame side comes out big time. I mean, what's so interesting is, let's be real, there were numerous games for Martinez at Nebraska. There were numerous games where if it wasn't for Martinez, Nebraska wouldn't even have been in the game late to lose in heartbreaking fashion. Martinez was like good enough to carry and keep Nebraska in the game, but then somehow couldn't make the clutch play late to win the whole thing and carry the whole group past the finish line. It was just so interesting to watch for four years at Nebraska. And then to watch him shift over to Manhattan, Kansas, and watch him get over the hump, with better pieces around him. It's it's fascinating. And then to shift over to Frost with all this, I will say this. Watching how this season had started, year five for at Nebraska under Frost, and then without Martinez. Watching it unfold, I think I think makes it clear that the issues that held Nebraska back were not Martinez. Right? The issues were much, much deeper than one player. So to me, this year so far, I mean, shoot, we're not even to October yet. We're just four weeks into the season. This year has provided clarity on some things and then also reaffirmed some things that I already believed. I think this season has provided clarity, for me at least, on Frost as the head coach at Nebraska. 
we all know now that it it need it needed to be over. It needs to be over, and it is. And we all know now that as long as Frost was in charge, things just weren't going to get better. Because we saw how changing a bunch of things, right? No Martinez anymore. You got a new quarterback. You got five new coaches, a new offense, a whole bunch of new transfers and new players. Yet the games and the results looked the same. In fact, they got worse. So there's been clarity with that picture for Frost and, and, and everything for me. And then to be honest, Martinez playing well and beating Oklahoma on the road reaffirmed what I already believed. Adrian Martinez is a really good quarterback. A really talented player. Even though he had never really come through in the clutch, watching him beat Oklahoma and make the plays in the clutch in the fourth quarter somehow wasn't surprising at all to me. I think I always felt like it was an inevitability. It wasn't a matter of if, it was when he finally did it. He's a talented dude, man. I always knew somewhere it was in him to deliver, and he finally did. So it's complicated, man. As you kind of talk this whole thing out, you touch on a lot of things. You may somewhat contradict yourself. You end up talking out of both sides of your mouth with this thing. But the reality is Scott Frost was flawed for four years. Nebraska was flawed for four years. But Martinez also had his shortcomings and flaws too. We always want to pin blame and and write the story right away as it's happening and unfolding and make it all one thing or have the answer. As it pertains to the Adrian Martinez story, all I know is I was cheering hard for him against Oklahoma and to watch him finally have his moment after years of losing and years of gun punches, I felt great for him. So cheers to Adrian Martinez. What a moment in what has been one of the most unusual, bizarre, captivating careers you will ever see. Speaking of Frost, and and I don't know how much, I mean, I wrote this stuff down because I've had a lot of time. I don't know how much thirst and desire there is to put a bow on on Frost time here, but I, it, it's, it's funny now that, man, it seems like that Georgia Southern game and like Frost being fired seems like it was forever ago. But I started writing things down and I came down to 11 moments slash games slash events slash decisions that kind of defined and doomed Frost at Nebraska. I wrote, I wrote these down. Not necessarily in sequential order or in order of importance, but here they are. Number one, the Akron game being canceled. The atmosphere was incredible. Nebraska could have easily started 1-0, worked out some kinks, but instead that seemingly once in a in a lifetime massive thunderstorm comes through, cancels the game, and then it sets the stage for starting 0-6 in year one, which kind of set the tone for losing. I really believe if that Akron game gets played, if the storm breaks apart and that game gets played. I think Nebraska wins that game. Doesn't, you know, have that very first game be against Colorado then the following week where they start slow and get down 14 nothing if you remember. Because of that, Martinez was in the game late and having to run. It, he gets hurt, which then leads to Andrew Bunch having to start the following week against Troy, which leads to a loss and all of a sudden, wing bang boom, Nebraska's struggling. So the Akron game has to be up there. The 2019 Colorado game. I think in some ways, I'm not so sure that isn't the game. Up 17-0 at half, completely meltdown, piss away the game, losing overtime, a huge missed opportunity to gain confidence. And you think about that season, there was just no excuse for them to not to go to a bowl that year. And it all comes back to that game, in my opinion. You lose at Colorado. You lost to Indiana at home, a game you were up 14-3, to and you lose. Remember, that was the season they lost at Purdue to a second- and third-string quarterback. 
Numerous chances in the red zone, lost. Lost to Iowa at home. Remember the final drive, shuffling in Luke McCaffrey and Martinez didn't get out of bounds. And then you, you melt down and let Iowa drive 44 yards in six plays in 30 seconds to kick the game-winning field goal. I mean, just no excuse. But it all comes back to that 2019 Colorado game. Third thing I wrote down, COVID. Impacted Nebraska negatively. It slowed their progression down. And it also kind of got Nebraska in the public eye of controversy. Remember suing the Big Ten, threatening to, hey, you know, we're going to... Remember, they were trying to play. They were trying to play. COVID was a major obstacle for everyone. And I'm not trying to make an excuse because everyone had to deal with it. And some were able to actually progress and improve through COVID. But let, let's also be honest and acknowledge the fact that when you're trying to build a program back up, a global pandemic isn't ideal. Fourth thing I wrote down, people forget about this, the decision not to go to a bowl game at the end of the 2020 season. I was always firmly in the camp that I thought that decision was idiotic. And I don't know how you don't now view it with hindsight now that it's all over Think how stupid that sounds now. Anyone that was arguing and agreeing with Nebraska shouldn't have played in a bowl game, I just I hope they realize how dumb that was in the moment. I thought it was a terrible decision at the time, and I still do. Nebraska needed every game it could to play, to improve, to progress, and a bowl game would have been big for everyone. And I get it. I get it. It wouldn't have been the normal bowl game experience, but it would have been a bowl game. That would have been a big check to mark off, and it would have been maybe you go there and you play well, whatever. Frost needed every game to earn the trust of the fans, get this thing rolling again. It's just so ironic how Nebraska was. Remember at the start of that year, I just said it, the COVID, like they were the anytime, anywhere, any place team at the start of the year. And then when the they turn, then all of a sudden at the end of the game, they have a bowl game opportunity. And they're like, nah, we're not going to. Remember, put it to a team vote. Another poor, I thought a poor display of leadership by Frost. Put it to a team vote. It was off. The offense didn't want to play. The defense did. I thought that was just bad. There's a lot of bad things at that. Next thing I wrote down, Martinez and just the quarterback management. When you don't quite get that position right, it's hard to survive and thrive as a coach. Now, what's hard is, did Nebraska actually get that position right with Martinez, but they were just so deficient in other areas and other spots that it clouded how we all view the quarterback position as a whole. We just spent 20 minutes on that. But nevertheless, I think we'd all agree the quarterback spot wasn't elite during the time that that Scott Frost was here. And in Scott Frost's system, that quarterback spot needed to produce at an elite level. When you don't get that spot right, when you don't get enough competition in there, it's it's usually not going to end well for, for a coach. Just go look at every coach coaching tenure that flamed out 90% of the time, they never got the quarterback fully right or quarterback play was never fully right. The next thing I wrote down, coaching staff management. I think Scott Frost waited too long to make changes at running back coach, O-line coach, to get the white the right wide receiver coach in place and most importantly, to have a designated full-time special teams coach because the recruiting whiffs at running back and wide receiver and then the lack of, of development in the offensive line, inexcusable. And then obviously we know how terrible special teams were. And to just constantly have it kick you in the butt every Saturday in the fall, and then when the offseason came, time to address it, Scott never did, it, it doomed him. It doomed him. Speaking of O-line, the next reason I wrote down, the trenches never got there under Frost. The reality is the Big Ten Conference is a trenches league, the O-line and the D-line. And the trenches just never got to where they needed to get to to have success in the Big Ten and in particular the Big Ten West. The offensive line was inconsistent and not very good all five years. The defensive line wasn't ever fully disruptive enough. Leagues like maybe the, the American Athletic Conference or the Big 12 even, you may be able to get away with being average in the offensive line and defensive line. You can't get away with that in the Big Ten. You can't get away with that in the Big Ten. The trenches just were never, just never got there. Next reason I wrote down, 
the errant Michigan State punt and Michigan Martinez fumble. Just you get both Michigan games last year in the 2021 season. In hindsight, this is just me, I think these two plays are more significant than the Illinois loss was to start the season two years ago. Scott Frost had chances, two great chances, for two great wins. The Michigan game, I mean, hell, they went to the playoff, would have been Frost's signature win. And with the way that team performed in East Lansing, dominating Kenneth Walker, to have everything go awry with one errant punt, brutal. You punt that, the direction needs to go. You beat Michigan State. Martinez doesn't fumble driving late, and they find a way to beat Michigan. I mean, everything could be different. But those two plays don't go right. Everything's changed. And then the last two are from this year. The onside kick in Ireland. If you want to trace to, the, you know, like, when, when the people got out the, the coffin and the nail, for lack of a better term, it was right after that onside kick. I mean, we are almost a month removed from it, and I'm still, I'm still in disbelief that that happened. Up 11, third quarter, all the momentum on your side. Scott Frost kicks an onside kick. I'm someone that had been really in his corner and defending him the whole time he's been here. After that play, it was it. It just seemed like I know for me, it. I felt like. Everything changed to a certain extent, and I think for a lot of people, everything changed. Whatever group was maybe riding on the fence went against Frost, and even some believers stopped believing. And then obviously the Georgia Southern game was the nail in the coffin. Worst defensive performance maybe ever in the past 20 years, which is saying something. Gave up 642 yards to Georgia Southern inside Memorial Stadium. After that, it was over for Scott Frost. I could go on for another hour, but those were the 11 11 kind of moments, games, events, decisions that doomed Frost. I mean, the honorable mention would have been trying to get out of the Oklahoma game. Remember that? Hey, brutal. But certainly those 11 to me rise to the top. Here's a few other broad takes I had thinking about Frost over the last week. Bill Moose was bad for Scott Frost. We all, it's funny how we think of certain people when they get to a a high position. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs to grow and learn and adapt. And in all reality, even coaches need to get coached or coaches need guidance. Scott Frost, by all accounts, really lacked organization, lacked details. And some of that couldn't have gotten, could have gotten cleaned up earlier if he had had a better and a stronger boss. Bill Moose, by all accounts, was absent. He wasn't around much. He was hands-off to a fault. He was back at his ranch in Montana all the time. Frost needed to tighten things up, and he needed someone to get his ass in gear a little bit. And Bill Moose wasn't around to do that, and he wasn't the right guy to do that. I do oftentimes wonder, now maybe Frost was doomed just because of, of intrinsically who he is. But I sometimes wonder if like Trev would have been the AD the whole time, how this, how everything would have unfolded. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. But Bill Moose is bad for Scott Frost. The other thing I wrote down, 2019 was the window, man, when we think about this thing. 2019 was the window for Scott Frost and Nebraska, and they missed it. 
2019, Nebraska had buzz, dude. Preseason, top 25, darling to win the West. Martinez is a Heisman Trophy candidate. Remember, they finished the 2018 4-2 in their last six games. This place was ready to explode. They were on the national radar in an emphatic way. College game day came to town at one point, and Nebraska just blew it. The window was open. That was the year. That was the window. And one thing about sports is the window windows don't stay open for long, and when they shut, they may not ever open again. I was thinking about this, give you an example about windows. The thing you got to give Michigan State is when the is when the window opened for Michigan State football, they took advantage of it. When Penn State hit their skid with the Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno scandal, and Ohio State hit the skid with Jim Tressel and Terrell Pryor and Jim Tressel being fired, and Michigan couldn't get their act together with with very, Brady Hoke and and different and various coaching decisions. Michigan State took full advantage. That was their window of opportunity. And they made the most of it. Three Big Ten titles from 2010 to 2015 and one college football playoff appearance. I'm just using that as an example of an example where the window opened and they ran through it. The window was there for Nebraska on a certain level in 2019. And Nebraska blew it. Had a, had a relatively manageable schedule. You had a bunch of hype, a bunch of buzz. You had a wave kind of behind you. Martinez took a huge step back. The running back and wide receiver spots, that development there, the recruiting there was awful. Special teams was bad again. That team had no business only winning five games. Again, we went through it. At Colorado, blew it in overtime. Indiana, at home, up 14-3, lose. At Purdue, lost to a second and third street quarterback. Iowa, final drive. McCaffrey shuffling in and out. Martinez didn't get out of bounds. You let Iowa go 40 yards in 30 seconds, kick a game-winning field goal. Brutal. That that team, that season, for all its flaws, should have been a seven-win team at least. And then next year, COVID hits, and all of a sudden, it's year four, and the heat is on. And we all know how it ended. But 2019 was the window. 2019 was the window, and Nebraska missed it. Another thing I was I was thinking about with Frost. I wonder how Frost will be thought of and remembered 15, 20, 30, 40 years from now. First of all, his overall record as, as a coach wasn't close, but the games were close. I wonder how those things will get sorted out in the future. On paper, he's arguably one of the two worst coaches in Nebraska football history. But what's wild is how close he was to winning so many games when he was here. I mean, again, five and 22 in one score games. I just, I wonder how history will tell the tale of Frost as a head coach 20, 30, 40 years from now. My guess is history probably won't be kind to him because history doesn't do well with nuance. History is, is more black and white. Like, here's who this person was. Here's how they performed. Here's what you should think of them. And if, you're, if you simplify it down to those things, not going to be good for Frost. And then secondly, I wonder how much Scott Frost's coaching tenure will impact his status and place in history as a player at Nebraska. Can people separate the two? I mean, it would be a shame if his failures as a coach spoil his successes as a player. But I fear... The first thing people will think of when they hear the name Scott Frost isn't national championship winning quarterback. It will likely be colossal failure as a head coach at Nebraska. But time will tell. The other thing I was thinking about, you know, that Trev is, you know, hunting for a new coach and all that. Nebraska hasn't had an athletic director and football coach completely aligned and in it for the long haul and came together in a while. Like, 
you, you think about it, you know, Bill Moose, Scott Frost. Obviously, both those guys, wildly flawed. Bill Moose, not very good at his job, not in it for the long haul. Sean Eichhorst, Mike Riley. We all know about those two guys. Pretty near. Tom Osborne, Bo Pelini. Tom Osborne always felt like he was just helping out. He wasn't, he was just kind of keeping the seat warm until they figured out what they wanted to do. And, and Bo Pelini had a lot of flaws. Steve Peterson, Bill Callahan, we all know how that was. I think there's a pretty interesting opportunity here where you got an athletic director in Trev Alberts that is in it for the long haul. And I trust that his vision is exactly what Nebraska needs, that he knows what ails Nebraska and what the remedy is for Nebraska. And he'll be able to take that onto his coaching search. And I trust he's going to make a good decision here. I am fully confident in who is making the hire for the next head coach in a way that I haven't been confident in over 20 years. I fully, fully believe in Trev and trust Trev that he is going to make the right decision as athletic director in figuring out who the next coach is. With that being said, speaking of Trev and new coaches, Again, had hernia surgery, so your boy's just been sitting on the couch. I sat and watched a bunch of football on Saturday, man. And given Nebraska's coaching vacancy, my analogy, it was almost like I just got out of a long relationship, like I just broke up with my girlfriend, and, and Saturday was my first night out with the boys, and we're all, I'm a single man at the club, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, ooh, look at, look at her, look at her. Oh, man, I'm, like I'm falling in love hard at the club right now. That was my Saturday. And the college football coaching club that I was at as a as you know fresh out of a long term relationship, the three main guys that stood out on Saturday to me were Lance Leipold, Dave Aranda, and Chris Klein. As I sat and watched, let's start with Leipold, man. Listen, I went to Kansas. I have a good sense on that full on that football program, how the community is with the football program and the vibe around it. What Lance Leipold done, has done is amazing. Kansas was probably the worst Power 5 team over the last decade. Last 10, 15 years, nobody's been as as inept in the Power 5 as Kansas has been. And it may not even be close. Multiple coaches, multiple ADs, I mean, some just truly horrific, atrocious seasons and teams. For Lance Leipold to come in, and in just, he's in year two, four games into year two, and have the energy and the confidence permeating to the tune of a sellout to that stadium in Lawrence, Kansas, is amazing. I'm telling you, I've been there. Lots of those Kansas fans, they're just counting down the days till basketball starts. For that stadium to be as energized and as juiced as it was, that's impressive. I sat and watched almost all of that Kansas-Duke game at 11 a.m. on Saturday, and the confidence and purpose that that Kansas team plays with is palpable and fun to watch. That quarterback, Jalen Daniels, that dude is like one of the best players in the country. He is awesome. That offense is awesome. That offense is fun to watch. A lot of creativity. So for me, being a single man at the coaching club, there was a lot to love about Lance Leipold. The next guy was Dave Aranda. I told you guys in the wine pod with Bo Rude, and we went over 20 different coaching candidates, that outside of Urban Meyer, Dave Aranda is my number one candidate of the coaches who are realistic for Nebraska to land. Baylor this weekend kicked Iowa State's ass in Ames. Uh, Aranda's teams play with an edge. They play with toughness. He's a defensive guy, being a former defensive coordinator at Wisconsin and LSU. I love the fact that he's been in the Big Ten. His resume is really impressive, man. I love how that defense plays. I love how he carries himself. I love his vibe and demeanor on the sidelines. That guy is a dude. And then the last guy, Chris Kleiman. Hard to not be impressed with Kleiman. After that win over Oklahoma on Saturday, Chris Kleiman is now 3-1 versus the Sooners at Kansas State. Kleiman deserves a close look from Trev. Now, I don't know if Kleiman sounds like he is really tight with his athletic director, 
But, man, he seems like someone whose coaching style and way of building a program would fit at Nebraska like a glove. He's a great talent evaluator. He's a great developer. He's a great culture builder. I don't know how he couldn't. I know Martinez kind of stole the show, but I was trying to really kind of just get a sense of climate and how he operates. That's an impressive guy. That's an impressive, impressive guy. So I'll leave it at those three. I got to pace myself with falling in love too quickly. My first, my first single weekend here is out there on the market looking for a new coach. <laughs> you know, this is only my first weekend, single and ready to mingle. I can't fall in love too quick. You know what I mean? This is going to be fascinating to watch unfold, though. And and it's all it's going to be fascinating. As I was watching it too, I was thinking about this. It, it's going to be fascinating into how the Nebraska job is viewed by other college football coaches across the country. Because you would think, you would think that dudes like Matt Campbell, Lance Leipold, Dave Aranda, Chris Kleiman would be very interested in the Nebraska job. But who knows? Maybe they aren't. Maybe they look at Nebraska. Maybe Matt Campbell goes, Ames, Lincoln, Iowa State, Nebraska, yeah. Maybe Chris Kleiman's like, yeah, I got my guy Gene Taylor's AD. I got it. Nah, nothing. Maybe Lance Leipold's like, you know what, man? I like Lawrence, Kansas. It's a basketball school. I don't necessarily want to be the focal point, and I'm kind of, I'm just starting to build this thing up. Maybe Dave Aranda's like, nah, nothing. That's been a coaching graveyard. I don't know. All I know is the Big Ten's a hell of a league. It's a better league than the Big Twelve. When you talk about infrastructure, fan support, money, all those things, Nebraska is a better job than Iowa State, Baylor, Kansas State, and Kansas. It just is. But I don't know if if that's how those coaches will, will view it. Beauty can be in the eye of the beholder as it pertains to coaching jobs. And Nebraska certainly isn't without flaws. It has major drawbacks. But man, so do Baylor, Kansas, Iowa State, and Kansas State. It's going to be really, really interesting to watch this coaching search evolve. i got to pace myself as a single man, though. You know, single and ready to mingle every Saturday with these coaches. You know what I'm saying? I'll leave it there. Got, a little, got to leave a little meat on the bone for this week's Wine Pod with Bo Root. Be on the lookout for that. That's coming later this week. Ooh, I've been talking too long. I better go ice my stitches and my stomach from surgery. I appreciate y'all downloading and supporting the podcast. We'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. Ahora Media Production.